Welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. And today it is time to meet the Brotherhood of the Plungers. I have a brand new guest discussing the brilliant man who knew too much. Probably the only Ben-centred episodes out there. It's Ian. Hello, Ian. How are you today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Really well indeed. It's always nice. to I think everything they've had a new guest or at least a group of new guests every series, so which is always great. Nice to meet new fans all the time of this really underrated show. Mm, absolutely. And that's why I was so happy when I came across your podcast, because it was like, wow, there, there's a whole community of people out there who uh, love this program as much as I do. Absolutely. And then we've said it nearly every episode of this series since the news about BritBox when we, this episode goes out, which will be December 12th, we'll be only four days off it going onto BritBox, which is very exciting. Mm, it really is. And I remember when BritBox first got proposed and I was so excited for it, solely for the purpose of 2.4 children. And I remember it came about and uh, I went to sign up to it and I found a website where you could view all the programmes of it. And I was scouring it for 2.4 children and I was devastated when it wasn't there. So um, that's why I never actually joined it in the end. I mean, I, I love lots of the content that the BBC have. Well, you know, um, BBC, ITV and so on have. I, it, I don't know. I just wasn't hooked solely for that purpose so now I'm finally going to sign up absolutely I mean first full release of the whole series beyond repeats ever so it is a big deal for all of us and been we're getting excited about it in the last couple of episodes and it's not not far off now guys when you're listening to this now not far off and if you listen to this after the 16th it's all on there as ever whenever we have a new guest on the show it'll go through the 2.4 initiation just a few questions about your experience of the show so ian when did you first discover 2.4 children so i would say i was so i'm 29 now and i would say that i probably came across it uh, when i was about 12 or something and it was on um i think it was uk tv gold was the name of the channel at the time i don't know what it turned into Dave or something like that but I can't remember seeing it for the first time but I remember loving it and like binging it uh, like every time I had every chance I had to watch it I would and um, I then went and bought series one to three on DVD from HMV in the pink box set which you probably know yes and um, yeah I remember my sister who's older than me she lived away from home every time she'd phone the house to speak to my mum she'd say oh she always knew that I was in because she could hear the 2.4 children soundtrack playing in yes. the background yes was your go was it your go-to when you were younger mm, yeah it was just comfort watching as it is now and I just loved it and I think maybe because it was a little bit ahead of my time I was born in 1992 so to really appreciate the program I was a bit too young so by the time it was on repeat so I was still fairly young and I think my family were a bit like that's a bit odd that this child is <laughs> enjoying this <laughs> retro sitcom so much but it was great and then I kind of rekindled my relationship with it a bit later on because it was available well saying available uh, not supposed to be available on YouTube and yeah. I watched this episodes in kind of like I think the bypass and kind of copyright ground by having it like in like a little curtain around it I don't know if you saw that and I I watched it there and then that disappeared so that's why I'm extra excited 
But that's a long way around answering your first question. No, well, what's really great is in, in majority of the guests I've, I've, I've had on have generally watched it first time round. But I'm the same as you in that I'm quite, a, I'm, I'm about three years younger than you. So we discovered it later. Uh, or we were the generation after it, really. Um, mm. So it's always nice to meet people who enjoy it, even though it wasn't the show from our time, from our generation. Just, just mm. appreciate the quality of old school retro tv and what's your favorite episode so my favorite episode i've been thinking about this well uh, leading up to talking to you today and i've narrowed it down um so i should say because i haven't been able to watch post series three as regularly as i would have liked there may be others that i eventually change my mind to but being a you know being focused on series one to three uh series two episode one i'm going slightly mad i say is my I just love the whole dream sequence because it's just so absurd. And I remember uh, I've always kind of been into filmmaking myself. So I remember having my friends around and showing them this and wanting to recreate it with my friends, just this absurd like timeline. I love it. Absolutely brilliant. I bet that would have been very fun to do just recreate something from a 90s sitcom, like a dream, a dream sequence and the Rona in a nun outfit. <laughs> exactly. That's my favorite bit. She just comes in and, uh, I'm renouncing myself to chastity and then starts playing the guitar and hear a gun go off in the background. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely bonkers. And also Felicity Montague, I love her as the DSS officer. As the, yes. And it's the role reverse of the career kind of advisor, getting advice off the person that they should be giving advice to. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And what's your favourite series? I'd say, again, like once Britbox has the episodes available and I've got more time to kind of spend with it, I may change my mind, but I'd say I wrote a list of my favourite episodes and obviously uh, I'm going slightly mad at the top, but what I realised is most of the ones I preferred were in season two, like um, the skeletons in the cupboard. I thought it was hilarious. You know, the, the scene where Rona is in the bar with, uh, his name Gordon, I think. Yes, <laughs> yes. That guy comes over and they're talking about that girl who's dating. She just screams out, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hilarious. So funny. Brilliant. And who is your favourite character? Um, I definitely say Rona. And because, because um, well, when I remember listening to your Julia Hill interview and she said it herself uh, that, you know, she's such a broad character and while you know she can be the butt of jokes there's so much more to it and uh, she's a really warming character and I think as well she um looks a bit like my auntie <laughs> oh, <laughs> so <okay. Yes. laughs> there's that kind of it's just like a warming feeling because it, it feels like someone I recognize yeah no that makes sense definitely so and so uh, these next two questions is always an interesting one especially when it's guests who you know like me have found it sort of the generation after it originally went out do you think the show's aged well I do yeah I do think that because um at the time I, I probably I when I first watched it probably didn't know any different because I was like like 12 or young teens so perhaps my worldview wasn't as established but watching it now as an adult there are some bits where like just like their treatment of Rona like yes she you know her promiscuity can be a bit of a joke at times but she's not cast aside you know she's not treated differently for that yes there's jokes on it but like she's a liberated woman and um I I just think there are certain storylines for um like the episode where uh, Rona's brother meets Ben and he's gay 
and there's this whole drama surrounding Rona and Bill trying to get back to the house because they don't think that Ben is aware and Ben's totally fine with it, you know, as he should be. And it's just, I think that it, it told a really important story there that Ben just didn't care that this character was gay and mm. um, didn't make jokes out of the fact that he was, you know, where other comedies had. Yes. Even things like Modern Family do now. And I know that it's um, in a different vein. But so overall, yeah, I think it was very modern. Obviously, and it's something you've mentioned in other episodes, there's certain things you probably couldn't say now, like um, Jenny saying about if Anne Frank was in this family, she'd uh, stick her head out the window and say, take me, take me, like that. <laughs> yeah, That makes me like wince. And I'm like, yeah. oh God. Um, so certain things, but otherwise I think it's it's fed quite well and was probably ahead of its time. I mean, it's hard to yeah. tell because I didn't watch it as it originally came out. Well, it's interesting what you say. I, I've, I'm the same as you. I, I rediscovered it three years ago when it was on Gold again. No, two years. It was three years this January. It was sort of back on repeat because it went off for a few years. And watching it as a kind of 24-year-old, having kind of moved out of home and graduated from uni and sort of having the adult life, that even there were moments I thought, wow, this is like 30 years old, but even I recognise these elements of growing up and the, the sort of daily struggle, not daily struggle, but, but things that, you know, the, the daily life and the grind of, going out and the rat race and everything it just it, it, you're right it was very ahead of its time in, in observation and the way it portrayed people going back to what you say about modern family that's considered a progressive show and i agree there are times in that i'm thinking mm, i don't think so yeah to be honest <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so final question in the initiation is why do you think then considering we we like it we're from the next generation and it we, we think it's aged well even now why do you think it has been so forgotten about yeah, because if I mention it to people around my age, very few people know about it. And um, I think it might be a number of reasons. Like if I speak to my my mum or, you know, all the members of my family or all the friends that I've got, they all know it. And I think one is probably to do with its availability on streaming platforms. So that may well change once it goes on BritBox. Hopefully it will go to iPlayer as well, because I yes. don't I don't know many people that have BritBox because if I'm talking to people about what we've been watching after work or on the weekend it's always something that's on Netflix or Prime or Disney it's never BritBox so yes. I hope that if it goes into iPlayer it will reach a wider audience but um, I think as well um, I mean you, you feel free to correct me but I don't think the cast have been in lots of big things since then like I know that the actor that played David went on to is it Hollyoaks I think yes um, yeah I know Julia Hills has done more theatre work and Belinda Lang I think I saw her in like something like Midsummer Murders or something like that yes she was yeah and that was a while ago as well so I've not seen her in much and I was looking on her Wikipedia page earlier um, which I know isn't the most reliable source but I don't think she's been in anything TV or stage since 2017 so I think because the cast haven't been in such big things since, and also Gary Olsen passed away, and, you know, he was probably one of the most recognisable characters from the show. And, you know, if you saw him in something else, you'd probably be like, oh, that's the guy from 2.4 Children. And unfortunately, very sadly, we, we couldn't see him in anything else. Yeah. That point's actually been raised before about it, because, I mean, Belinda Lang guest starred in My Family, and she also was in an episode of Citizen Khan in 2014. 
and I think that's her latest TV appearances. It is you. You probably got a, a point there. I mean, someone also raised "Goodnight Sweetheart" is Nicholas Lyndhurst. Something like "British Empire" is remembered as much for it being Chris Barry, who's probably better known for Red Dwarf, mm. and that's kind of helped the profile of that particular show. It's you know, they're, they're fair points, I think. Hopefully, though, now with it being on BritBox, and you never know what might come next if it if it if it takes off. You know, maybe the 2020s will see the tide turn for it. Mm, that would be really nice because I think that it deserves that second wind that other other comedies have had. I mean, I've said this so many times. People who would to play a drinking game where I say the same, I repeat the same things from episode to episode. Probably getting drunk now, but ge- <laughs> but genuinely, I'm three quarters of the way through this podcast, and and more and more I'm doing it. I just think. There are some sitcoms that deserve to be forgotten about, and I say that lovingly. There are some sitcoms <laughs> that are that are just made for filling a schedule. That's it. Mm. This though had so much more to give than yeah. other sitcoms, and I always say, even if people don't feel that elements of it work, at least it was a series that aimed high. I think it aimed high and, and met its goal constantly, and lots of us mm. do. I mean, it was successful enough, but I think. Yeah, we, we are, we're nearly done now. We're, we've only got the second half of this series and then the rest, the next two series, but there's so much more to say. So mm. thank you so much, Ian. You've passed your initiation. Everyone, oh, thanks. Everyone drink their scotch. You're always <laughs> going to. So now we go on to this episode, which has probably one of the weirder set pieces in 2.4 Children and a very interesting plot line. And as ever, it's Andrew Marshall. Hello, well, what have I got to say about this? The man who knew too much. Well, this episode involves Ben apparently being invited to join a rather bizarre secret society called the Brotherhood of the Plunger, uh, which is entirely made up and uh, isn't real at all. Of course, I have to say that because being the Grand Master, I I have to deny it. One of the um, interesting things about the ceremony that you see them um, going through when Ben is initiated is it's very very vaguely based on something I saw in a very old film that I was very fond of which is called The Court Jester. Uh, It's a Danny Kaye film. Danny Kaye's style of comedy is pretty outmoded now but it was one of my childhood favourites and it contains all wonderful kind of uh, vaudeville routines and all kinds of pantomime type scenarios um, uh, in a sort of vaguely Robin Hood setting. Anyway, at some point in the movie uh, they make... Uh, Danny Kaye, who's playing a court jester, who's masquerading as uh, somebody else, into a knight, and they drag him through a, a sort of ceremony where they chant various things and move him around a room, and that was what inspired this rather strange ceremony that you're about to talk about. Anyway, I hope you have fun thinking about this episode. Here it is, The Man Who Knew Too Much. We start the episode as as a lot of the episodes do um bill is preparing breakfast she's pouring some hot water into a teapot and as ever she is the slave to the family david asks if they've got brown sauce jenny says someone's eaten her muesli uh, muesli is quite an interesting one really i feel like i've, I've had it before have you ever had muesli uh, i don't think so because i don't know it just um it doesn't sound appealing <laughs> no it really it really doesn't and i think it's uh, probably one of those sort of health sort of meals really 
sort of dry, bland breakfasts you can potentially have. And then they would ask us if they've got salad sauce. And I love how Bill hands up a pack of small cereal boxes, which Jenny says, oh, you know, I can't have those. They've got E numbers in them. And then Bill says, well, spit the E numbers out and leave them on the side of your plate. And I just, I love the way she hands her the, um, the boxes as well. She's just wearing a plate and just whacks it in her hand. Mm-hmm. I think she said something like that before, you know. I think there's been a, I think if I remember correctly, there's a series one moment where Jenny says there's something in the food and Bill just says you can just spit them, them out and leave them on the side of your plate. Yeah. So it's a nice little recurrence of that kind of line because parents often say the same tell the same jokes don't they to embarrass their kids yeah and then bill walks in with the tray and turns the music down now my shazam failed me that sounds like a 90s tune that actually exists do you know what song that piece of music that was oh i don't think i do no i mean it just sounds like something that was out in the mid to late 90s like a dance tune and it it sounds it feel it really enhances the 90s look and the 90s feel of the show i loved it Oh, maybe I need to go back and listen to that again. I don't, I don't suppose it's not listed in the credits, is it? No, I, I don't think so. As I say, I tried my Shazam and it just wasn't um, wasn't having yeah. it. I love I love the way that Bill slams the salad sauce by him and then Dave goes, it's all right, I, I use lemon curd. Lemon curd on a toast? Is he for real? That sounds utterly revolting. Or maybe you might think it's a good combo. Oh, I don't know, lemon curd, because it does sound very deserty doesn't it i think yeah, it sounds it like does. something you'd have in a cake but i i think it's been done i guess it, you know perhaps it's not too far from marmalade or, yeah. or jam but it just sounds very sweet Ooh, toast. I don't know about that. that time in the morning it's a bit bit rich <laughs> yeah <laughs> so bill sits down and says she needs to talk to them while david's on his walk with harry so we know from the previous episode when they had four of the the harrys that followed them home that they've kept one of them bill asks them if they know what happens this month jenny suggests the eurovision song contest which david replies saying well no that's in may and i love how she goes i don't think knowing that is anything to be proud of (laughs) bill then says it's ben's birthday so jenny asks what they're going to do and bill replies forget it no presents no card no mention of it at all david asks why and then bill says you know when you get to his age you'll know why jenny asks what is his age and Bill doesn't actually specify a number. She just says, and no mention of that particular number. If we can avoid that, we might just have a chance. And I love the glare that Jenny and David give each other. Like they're, they're up to something. Yeah. At the park, Ben has a frisbee with Harry and he throws it so high, it glides over a, a giant bush and, and goes into a petrol station. And you can actually see the petrol stand above the, uh, the, the, the sign, the giant sign above the uh, the bush and so we hear a, a crash and harry walks um through the bush and gets into the petrol station and we see a man who's by the station sign he's obviously going to be adding some uh, giant signs with numbers on them he's on the ground and the ladder is 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 by his side and the frisbee is by his head harry walks over to him back at the park Ben looks quite guilty because I think he knows something's happened but doesn't know where Harry is. At this moment you think Ben would go and run after him wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's definitely some guilt there going on or something. And then as Harry returns without the frisbee, Ben just kind of excited goes, come on, boy, come on, come on, boy, come on, boy. And then instead of the frisbee, he's brought back a sign that reads 38. And Harry very casually just places it on the ground right in front of Ben to see clearly. And then he just looks up at Ben like unaware of what he's done. And then we see a shot 
of Ben and the camera zooms in on him as he goes. And I'm just going to put my microphone just slightly away from me, just so no one gets deafened while listening to my podcast. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> no! Oh, I just set off my dog. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was about to, um, I, I thought watching it episode earlier, I thought it might set her off, but it, it didn't. Shut up, Scully. Yes, it's Scully and Mulder. That's right. Oh, that is so cute thank you it, uh, it had to be done they've they've, they've settled now. i think it's um, terrified than that so yeah the, the cold opening ends with ben shouting no in a long sort of angry way very similar to did luke skywalker after the reveal and empire strikes back not spoiling it for anyone who doesn't know film and that goes into the opening credits ben then returns home and bill keeps saying hello but he's no reply and he's really, really down, isn't he? He's really not happy at all. Yeah. And he says, you know, it's my birthday soon. And I love how Bill slams her cup of tea down. It's the first thing she <laughs> just gives the children the mother glare, like they've done something <laughs> wrong. She just knows what's coming, doesn't she? It's the fact that he's saying it as if people aren't aware of it. Yeah. And then to be fair, Jenny and David do defend themselves. They're like, well, we only just filed out five minutes ago. But I love how Ben blames Harry. But Harry's just this like cute dog who's on the sofa and he goes, and you had to remind me. And then one, one line that sings a little bit now in, in retrospect is when Ben just goes, I'll soon be dead. Mm, Won't oh, go, yeah. Yeah, won't go into that, but it, it just, yeah, just a very sad, obviously unaware of what was to come. Bill says, you know, it's just a number. You're still young and to, and tells him not to make himself prematurely old before his time. 40's nothing. And I just know, I love how that he just goes, oh, I'm not 40, I'm 30 something. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got David says, it's, I thought he was only 30. And then Jay says, what would that make me? An immaculate, immaculate conception. Conception, <laughs> Is that is that probably the most stupid response by a teenager? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. It's like I I don't think they'd want to think about it too much. Or at least I wouldn't. No, <laughs> no. I I agree completely. They start talking about between them, but then Bill sort of. I love how she just stands over them and they all kind of just, just change their tune quickly and she just goes, school time! Mm-hmm. And then Bill says, you know, it's only half... Jenny says, sorry, it's only half past seven. And Bill's like, yes, well, we don't want you to be late. Just says, well, it doesn't matter if you're going to get there an hour earlier. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. annoying your dad. And then the children debate Ben's age. Jenny says, well, the hair in his nose are definitely increasing and that usually happens at that age. And David <laughs> says, yes, and in his ears. And when he goes upstairs, he gets breathless. And I love how Ben's it behind them in the kitchen. He's just like panicking. He's touching his nose, his ears, and like really panicking. Was there as he hears their conversation? He goes, "Look, I'm 38." Dave says he'll, you know, he'll he'll grow grey soon. Ben says he's I'm middle aged. And then Dave says, "Oh, but you're supposed to be middle aged." Bill says he is not middle aged. He then she grabs David by the collar and pushes him away from the table. Bye bye, David. She still treats him like a child at times. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's so characteristic of Bill, that sort of humour, isn't it? It really is. And she just knows how to deal with them and manage them. Ben says, you know, 38 times two is 76. And then says, that's as old as any man gets. And I'm in the middle. It's just like, he's, he's one of those. He's, he, he's such a, he, well, Bill says later, he's usually a very optimistic person. And on this occasion, he's just being so down and, 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 and negative and pessimistic. Jenny then explains that, you know, Harry's 11 which is 77 in dog years, and he's all right. I love how Harry's just lying on the sofa like a complete lazy dog. Then Jenny explains, you know, one dog year is seven of hours. And I love how Ben mentally calculates this, goes, I'm 266 in dog years. 
not realizing that he's not doesn't make any difference to him. He's still a human. And then Jenny gets pulled away by Bill. She gets pushed away, saying bye bye, Jenny. Jenny says I'll, they'll miss the bus, and Dave, and Dave says yes in about an hour. So they're probably just going to go to the bus station for a while to leave Bill to deal with Ben. <laughs> just I just love this observation though. It, you know, the show always starts off with kind of a realistic kind of scenario, and this is like the family breakfast and the jibes and the conversations. It's just so recognisable and, and so many families could relate to it. It's, it's a really nice bit of acting. Yeah, no, it is. And then it always has the uh, the slightly odd twist that only the Porter family have. And it even like, just yeah. A bit, yeah, characteristic to them. It is. And, and Ben is so kind of, the way he thinks is so interesting. He's got the most bizarre mind, especially when he says, you know, about, you know, cats have nine lives to one of ours. I'm 342 to a cat. You just think, why, why are you thinking like that? That's so <sighs> not helpful in that moment. So Bill asks what he wants for breakfast. He says nothing. And then Bill, I love the way she tries to convince him. He goes, how about fried eggs, fried bacon, fried tomatoes, fried bed and fried beans? Ben says, sounds disgusting. So Bill says, well, all right, I'll just fry the beans. And then Ben says, no, I'll just have some plain yogurt and dry toast. And I love this bit of delivery by Gary. He just takes a bite out of the dry toast and says with his mouth full, have to watch the cholesterol now I'm this age. That's probably a terrible impression. I probably should have got some dry toast and <laughs> to try to do it for like a method actor. But it was really, you know, he's just kind of, he's just so lost. And, he, and, he, and I feel it because I love how Ben is always this jolly character. And in another sitcom, that kind of, father figure would just stay the same but but mm. with gary is given the opportunity to show off his acting that he you know it really shows at the, the various levels of his emotions and this shows him as down mm, absolutely and um i think that's something that the whole season offers is lots of different uh you know you know um, storylines and, and just different ways for the characters to ask because they're not it's not all just you know slapstick comedy and things like that it, it does offer the characters to express all different kinds of emotions and uh, just the skills uh, like you know like the Christmas episodes with the singing and the dancing and stuff there's just so many there's so much that the series offers in that respect it does and especially in this episode with Gary getting his opportunity to show his clowning skills but that'll mm-hmm. be that comes a bit later on so Bill sits him down and says you know we have this every time you're exactly a day older than you were yesterday when you were quite all right and then Ben just goes not the ace it's the mileage and then he says, you know, when I was 18, I had plans. Bill says, well, so did I. And Ben replies, no, I mean real plans. <laughs> like it's kind of like her, his plans are more important or real than hers. And I love how she doesn't like glare at him. She just goes, go on. She just, just, just go on. I'm going along with it for now. And he says, you know, I wanted to do some things, be somebody. I mean, look at me. What have I achieved? And I love this kind of to and froing of responses between Bill and Ben. Bill says a lot. You know, we have a nice house. Ben says, tuple mortgage. Our health, luck, the kids, you had those. You were involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, I know. And, it's just, and then C says, you know, he want, I wanted to, people to look up to me. And then Bill's always never, she's one to kind of break the attention with a human. She goes, well, Christine's quite short. And so Ben goes up to load the van and says, I'll see you later. And poor Bill, she really does look completely unsure on how to deal with him. She's probably never seen him like this. And I don't think, Many of us will have seen, we'll see him, you know, in Badger's Bend when he's asleep, when he's not sleeping, right, because of playing the, the Badger game, Ninja Badger. 
He's a bit mm. grumpy and tired. But this is probably his most lethargic, I think, we've seen him so far. Mm, well, there's the episode with his father and um, Darani, which is quite has some quite touching, sad moments. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, he manages to revive himself a bit sooner in that episode, whereas this one, his, you know, down point lasts for quite a while. Well, he's having a nervous breakdown. No, not nervous breakdown, sorry. He's having a midlife crisis. Mm. That's the thing. He is having a midlife crisis. I think he's having not too dissimilar to what Bill was having about the first two series, you know, thinking about his life. And, and I like the fact that they did, that Andrew Marshall decided to explore that idea with Ben because a Gary is such a good actor it's always the job of any writer is to show off the talent of the cast but at the same time as part of the characters and the story it feels more real it feels realistic because I think men and women do experience that kind of midlife sort of sort of reflection don't they and men have a midlife crisis women go through menopause or the change as it's called now I know that's not what Bill went through with the first two series but I, I do think men and women go through quite a different sort of reconciliation of their life. So mm, Like an existential I, thing, in a way. Yeah, ex- existential sort of crisis. And I like this next bit with Rona and Bill in the warehouse. It sort of goes a bit further into that. Bill's putting the finishing touches on a chocolate cake. Rona's looking herself in the mirror and asks if, she's think, if she thinks that she's putting on weight. If Bill thinks she's putting on weight. And that's another hint of what's to come in, in the next episode. There's hints of Rona's not quite something's not right with Rona although it hints that she might be pregnant but we know obviously what comes in the next episode Rona's jeans are getting tighter is what, what she says on their work surface I love the flake packets they have I don't know if you noticed that the cabin <laughs> flake packets I love this mm. the, it looks they look the same they don't look any different to what they look like now from what I could see no I know and I have like real cake envy for that chocolate cake they've got on the side as well I don't know why but anything to do with Bill and Rona's business whether it's them doing estimates at the table planning a party or just in the kitchen or at the warehouse baking something I just think it's wonderfully I find them I find it I find watching them it's mesmerizing because they're just doing that it feels like they're actually doing stuff in other sitcoms it feels like they're not doing anything or if they're cleaning it's very sort of choreographed to make it look like they're cleaning but they're not in this it feels like they're actually doing work while acting yeah. and getting on with the life it's just really well directed i wonder whether the the food they create like in their buttering sandwiches and stuff i wonder if they're actually um you know what behind the scenes do, do this cast and crew eat what they make oh well how lucky they would be if that happened that would be really good mm. love that and so Bill says, you know, she's still worried about Ben. He went to work looking so lost. But I enjoy this reference to him being the 2.4 child. You know, she says he didn't even take his Beavis and Butthead insulated cola can cover with integral straw. A brilliant, you know, merchandise there. And a bit of a throwback, Beavis and Butthead. I mean, I kind of know of them. They're of the 90s, like, say, the Simpsons and South Park were of that era. But they're not yeah. ones that I've kind of grown up with like those other two. Did you know no, of Brit and Brian Merle? Yeah, I think it was a bit more adult than The Simpsons from what I remember. And I remember, if it's a programme that I'm thinking of, it's a kind of the, the people with the big heads and small eyes. Is that's that right? it, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I remember going over to my grandparents once and my nana was like, oh, I've recorded some cartoons off the TV for you. And I was like, oh, thanks. So they gave me this videotape and we put it on and it was Beavis and Butthead. And I remember... <laughs> My mum saying to my nan, I was like, I think that's a bit too adult 
a bit too grown up for him. Yeah. And I remember just not getting it at all. I've never properly seen it. I know they made a movie of it. I think it Beavis and Brad do America or go to America or something. I th- or leave America. But they, they did a movie of it and I've not even seen that. So it is definitely, but very, very much a reference of the time. I mean, the last episode we've had a reference to Quentin Tarantino. This time we've got a Beavis and Butthead reference. It's just very much a 1996 kind of cultural discussion point and reference that's still relevant because mm. I think it still has a cult following. I think there's been a revival of it since. And I like how Rona giggles and she goes, is that the one that says, and Bill Finch is, yes, this is cool and that sucks. Yes. <laughs> it's just a really great, I, I'm going to Google that to see if that actually exists. I think that's quite mm. a funny bit of merchandise. Bill says she's never known him like that. He's usually so optimistic, but every year at birthday, it's getting a bit worse. And then, you know, what I said earlier about it kind of being the difference between men and women and, and, and having that existential crisis, you know, Rona says, don't. I'll never forget the day I looked at myself in the mirror and saw my mother's face looking at me, or in my case, Auntie Pearls. And, and so clearly it's something that they're all feeling because the three of them are sort of late 30s. That It's not old by any stretch of imagination. You know, I think most people see 40 now as being like the new 30. But I think back mm. then it was probably more the age you felt more middle-aged in your 40s. Yeah, I guess as well, if you, you know, if you've got children of a certain age, you know, the older, like because um, David and Jenny are a bit older at this point, I suppose that adds to you kind of like being a bit introspective. Definitely. Oh, definitely. And as well with Rona, she's wanting to have a child and been trying for a long time. You know, that's what sort of help, doesn't help either. And then, but when she says about seeing her mum's face in the, in the mirror, Bill says, you're lucky. At least your Auntie Pearl has a face. My mum's just a collection of loose features like a bag of gobstoppers <laughs> left in the glove compartment on a hot day. <laughs> it's, it's just some wonderful thing. dialogue there. It's just a great visual image. And it's pretty mm. obvious what, you know, for anyone who knows gobstoppers and stuff, it, yeah, it's, it's quite funny really seeing that visual. <laughs> because in a harsh way, no disrespect to Liz Smith, but I can really... Um... <laughs> see it <laughs> it's the makeup i think she just used she just, she's caked in makeup more so in um 2.4s as bet than she is in vicar dibley and, and royal family where she's a bit more mm. kind of doesn't really take herself in makeup as much but i love how interesting how rona still refers to her mother as auntie pearl so rona says you know it's different for men it's not so much looks they need to be they're still you know now i thought she's going to say virile I just had a feeling that she was just about to say virile because that, I think, you know, it's obvious what she means. She, they feel like they need to be more young and masculine and, and full of energy. That's what she's referring mm. to. Um, but, you know, it, they're really summing up quite interesting, very um, realistic and recognisable traits of getting older, which, again, a lot of the more adult audience would get over the, the younger viewers. Bill doesn't say she doesn't know what to say and says he's probably moping about somewhere Rona suggests Bill delivers the cakes early and she'll do the sandwich run on her own so she can get home early. And Bill, and which I love that kind of trust between Bill and Rona. And they're not just friends and neighbours, you know, they're, they're colleagues, but they care about each other and care about their families and their situations and their partners. Bill's like, would you? Then I can go back and do something really special for him when he comes home. This is such a Rona comment. She smirks and just goes, or even something to eat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so characteristic of Rona, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Rona, I mean, you know, Rona's idea of doing something special might be different to what Bill <laughs> imagines. Yeah, exactly. So at, at Paddy's Cafe, uh, a plumber who we later learn is called Ray leaves. Might seem like a, a very weird extra, but he's very important for later on. 
plants a seed mm. there. Sean passes two cups to Christine. And this is probably one of my favorite bits of comedy ever. It's one of those where you can't believe someone else hasn't already done it. It's just the most, it's such an observed idea, concept and joke. And mm. it's just wonderful. She looks down at one of the mugs and says, there's a chip in this mug. And Sean goes, it's perfectly clean. And Christine <laughs> says, I don't care. And she grabs <sighs> a chip out of the mug and goes, I don't want it in my coffee and flings it to the to the table. I'm just, it's the most, it's it's only one bit and it's just so funny. You know, chip in a mug, you know, it's like actual mm. chip on the mug and an actual physical fry potato chip in the mug. It's, it's it, it, I, I, one of those, I, I just, it's such a simple joke. It's, it's one of those where you say the old ones are the best and it's just, I, I'm just mesmerized by it every time. Oh, it's just wonderful. It is. It's so funny and it, it like it really made me laugh and uh, like it's just it's like traditional comedy isn't it it's kind of along the same sort of lines as Four Candles. Yes um, yeah. Yeah and uh, I've just got to say as well your your Irish impression there was brilliant. Thank <laughs> it was you very really, much. It was really very very similar. Thank you very much I I've, um, have practiced it a few times I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> So Christine hands Ben the other mug and tells him to cheer up. And you know what I find really interesting is that even she's really struggling with him. Like, even to be fair, she's normally the kind of person to kind of kick him, but actually she's being a little bit more understanding. I mean, say, oh, cheer up. You know, she's even she's finding him hard work that day. But then she's like, it's like spending the whole week, week with a wet dishcloth. Uh, <laughs> it's like, just like, what? And then Sean just goes, what's wrong with that? That's probably not as good, my impression there, but he's wiping the surface. So, you know, she's um, saying he's spending the whole weekend with a wet dishcloth. You know, he's probably used to doing that all the time. So he's, he doesn't understand why most people think that's a bit sad, uh, even though it's his job, which is obviously, you know, I love Sean's. Sean's an interesting character. He's quite dry, isn't he? And he, he was originally one of the ambulance men in health and efficiency. So you can see how he kind of found his way into 2.4. Mm. So Jake Klinger enters dressed in the... Do you about to say something? Sorry. I was, I, I was trying to recall because there was a different cafe owner in the earlier series, wasn't there? An older man. Yes, um, he was the man. Um, his, the actor's name is, is gone from my head now. But he was the Grandpa Joe in the remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. Oh, no way. Yeah. Amazing. And then Liz Smith was one of the grandparents in the bed. Was she? Oh, yeah. I, I did. I can't, I'm going to have to watch this again. It's been, I don't think I've watched that since it came out, but what a small acting world it is. I know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not a good film. It's not the Gene Wilder version, I'll be honest, but she is quite funny. I think if there's one bit, she, 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 all I remember of her is she says at one point, oh, I do love grapes. I don't know why I remember that. I've not seen it probably since it came out, but I just remember her being in it. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> it really is a small world. Jake Klinger enters dressed in the blue Thunderbirds costume. So this is the final part in the jake klinger trilogy i like to call it great bit of um guest appearance by roger lloyd pack here obviously i was thinking he and liz smith will have worked in um vicar of dibley together by this point as well it really is they all kind of cross over and work together at some point don't they mm, yeah that's that's true and that's how, where i know him best from i mean i know other people know him as uh trigger from only fools and horses but um no for me it was i was a big fan of vicar of dibley so but then saying that i know liz smith better from uh royal family but yeah yeah i love these crossovers you know it kind of creates that um you could what you could spend a nice like wintry autumny 
rainy afternoon watching all of these three programs and uh, probably see all of them. You know, it sounds like a nice afternoon. <laughs> yeah, com- com- familiar faces, comforting familiar faces. I-, I know what you mean. Yeah. And Christine whispers to Ben, don't look now. Jake Klinger just walked in wearing a really stupid outfit. And, I- and-, and again, this is, I think this scene is obviously the- where we see Ben shift. And it's great, this little bit where we see him so down that even seeing Jake Klinger in a costume just doesn't change him. He just turns on and goes, oh. And then she goes, well, say something. And Ben turns around and says, hi, Jake. And Christine says, well, what about his outfit? Ben turns around again and says, nice outfit. And Chris says, is that it? What's wrong with you? Ben asks, well, what do you want him to say? And Christine says, watch. She turns around again and says, did you hurt your foot then when you fell off the Christmas tree? Just another great bit of comedy there, bit of like a joke there, because he looks like he does actually look like a bauble. I'm sure there are Thunderbirds baubles out there, but yeah, he does actually yeah. have a kind of look of like a, like a what, what like one of those um, band players that you can get baubles of. Oh yeah, like the um, Nutcracker thing. Yes, right? the Nutcracker. Yeah, and so Christine bites back, telling Ben not. Ben then says, "I do apologize for my assistant. She sometimes gets a bit over excited, which is just it's just so funny seeing Ben." being the mature one for once. It's a really great character change. Christine bites back saying, you know, not to apologise to her. Jake says the apology is accepted, you know, and then Christine says again, you know, I never thought I'd see the day when you would apologise to Jake Klinger. Ben says he'll wait wait for Christine in the van while she finishes her drink. And then outside, Ben returns to the van and you can see Harry's in the passenger seat. I hope that's not a hot summer day because that's really cruel to leave a dog in the seat. But I love oh, how I he's... In, yeah, it's, it's about, um, I love how he's in the passenger seat, just like really well behaved. You must trust him so much to just be there and, and not make a noise. Mm, I know. And um, I wonder... Yeah, like I don't because now it's it's such a, a known fact, isn't it? You don't leave a dog in a car, and um, I think you could probably legal. I think now you're legally allowed to smash a car window if you see a dog in there. So yes. you probably wouldn't see something like that in a TV program these days. No, that's very true. Actually, it's um, yeah, just show how things change and how advice and, and knowledge of um, animal safety and what can be a danger to animals you know it's, it's all, it has all changed and so mm-hmm. some very upbeat music plays and it's a piece I found out it's called The Last Hero and Ben finds on his windscreen wiper a gold necklace he grabs it and it shows he can, and, and, it, and it sort of hand, it, um, hangs down from his hand and it shows on the side at the end is a purple sink plug that's attached to it and then I love the, the bit of direction here where like a a tinge of gold lighting reflects on Ben's face and he says, the purple plug. It has like a, a little mystical fantasy Disney vibe to it. it. You know, it's obviously, you know, a production inclusion, but it really enhances that there's something really mystical about this discovery as he knows about. Mm. And so Ben returns to the cafe and he's back. Ben Porter is back in the building. And first thing he asks is, hello, Jake, you having lunch with Barbie and Ken? So he's just now, he's now really, something's giving him a boost from finding this purple plug. And then Jake says, you know, what he's wearing is the authentic Thunderbird uniform of Scott Tracy. I like this second Thunderbird reference in the series because obviously next year, the first episode has Fab One. Uh, they, had, they buy the Fab One car. Um, right. 
Oh, I can't remember that. Is that that's the next episode, did you say? So that's the series, the series seven premiere when Ben buys a new car and he buys a replica oh. of Fab One, which is really funny. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch that. Yeah, this is that's a problem with not being able to access the the old the later series. Yeah, because um, I feel that there's a whole world that I want to tap into. So, not long. Yeah, bring on. Yeah, bring on box of uh, not box of broadcast. That's something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not long now. And then I love how Ben says, "Well, I knew it wouldn't be brains," which is um a cat, which is a character from Thunderbirds, but it's mm-hmm. also referencing the idea of you know I knew you didn't have you know brains, not having brains. It's just another double meaning, another one of those brilliant double meanings that two point four John does so well. So Ben shuts the blinds and asks Sean to lock the door, and he reveals the purple plug, and instantly Jake and Sean are in shock. There's definitely something that they know. Sean goes, "Wow, I've never seen one." And Jake says, it's a fake. I've been trying to get one. And and Kristen asks, what is it? And the other three go, the purple plug. Like, like she should know. It's a bit like in Lady Vanishes with the vampire when Christine, Ben and Bill are talking about what's going on next door. And Rona says, what's this? And they all go, the vampire. Yeah. It's like yeah. they all know something that she doesn't know. Yeah. And so Ben says, it's an invitation to become a member of the most exclusive fraternal society the plumbing can offer the venerable brotherhood of the plunger and the other three all mind pulling a plunger and all make a sound like a plop. I can't do it. I cannot do it. Can you do the, the plopping sound? Hang on. Hang on. Um, I don't know. Yes, that that's better. That's a lot better. And it's just wonderful. It's almost like it's an, it's a, it's a cult almost. Or like when they mm. kind of take it out and they, 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 they pretend to be taking, you know, pulling up a plunger and then making that sound. It's just very funny visual. Mm, but the way they talk about it as well, about this this club, is as if like other clubs, but not as good, exist in such a like a niche like community, such as plumbing. Yeah, it, it's an odd kind of... It, it, and it almost feels like it's secret, but it should be known about. It's, mm. it's, it's a very... It, 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 they, within the world of 2.4 children, this is like, well, more should I say within the plumbing world of 2.4 children it's world it's the best thing since sliced bread or should i say best thing since drains so jake <laughs> says it's just a lot of, i love how she's like what's that and jake says oh it's just a lot of idiots who meet and dress up in stupid looking outfits <laughs> just like is this the irony because he's there dressed as a thunderbird character yeah ben asks if it's jealousy and the you know the plungers are the most distinguished club open to only the chosen elite of the profession and then Ben just says, nobody knows. It could be anybody and everybody. Nobody knows. So Christine says, no. so it's a secret society. And then th- the three of them, Sean, Jake and Ben, all laugh together at the notion that it's a secret society. Ben's just like, there's nothing secret about it. And there's a knock at the door as Bill is outside, shouts, hello. And then they all go, get down. So they all duck um, on the ground. Ben explains that no plumber can divulge any details of the society to any living person except for another plumber or honorary plumber. He points to Sean. Not even wives or girlfriends. Christine asks why not. And Ben explains there was a bloke in Camden who told his wife some secrets of the Brotherhood. Three days later, they, they found him dead in his bed. And then Sean says, he was 84. And Ben says, has nothing to do with it. So it's just, you know, it's just already you just think this is the most daft thing. It's not, it's nothing, not an actual cult that has any power, but in their mm. mind it does. And I, I just like how we, we know it's stupid what he's thinking, but you kind of go along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, when, as soon as he says the, 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 um, 
the old man in Camden before it was 84. It's like, oh, obviously that this is like, it's not dangerous in the slightest. Absolutely. And so Bill keeps knocking and shouting if anyone's there. Ben opens the door and Bill enters. And she asks if the door was locked. Ben says the catch must have dropped. It does that, doesn't it, Sean? And Sean goes, no. And then he goes, <laughs> oh, yes, it does. When Ben <laughs> looks at him. Bill says, oh, for a moment, I thought it was some secret meeting for plumbers. And they all laugh hysterically, you know, try, trying hard not to make it look obvious. But by laughing hysterically, they kind of make themselves just look really crazy, which I like that bit. Bill just looks at Jake and goes, hello, Jake. He replies, nice to meet you. Goodbye. He's like, I can't believe they've never met. I know. I, I thought that as well, especially because, I'm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, that Ben had mentioned, like referred to Jake in episodes before he actually appeared. Is well, that yeah, I mean, she knows there's a rivalry between them and she just says, oh, not one of these stupid things. In the first mm. episode, when he's in, is the Star Trek funeral where he, he fakes his own death, mm. which they are. They go to the um, Chapel of Rest, and he, it, what, the body in the coffin is his cousin, I think. So she's not met him then, but I know in uh, Seven Dials when they do the prisoner spoof, and Jake appears outside their house with the white giant balloon at the end of the episode, and Ben goes out to fight him off. Clearly, she will have seen him then, or at least known he was there. But I love how if they've never met, she just sees him in a, in a costume and just knows it's him. Maybe she just recognizes, mm. oh, it's Jake. It's the man in a Thunderbird costume. This is Jake Klinger. It's very funny. Who else could it be? Yeah, exactly. So he says, bye then, and leaves. And she goes, what's wrong with him? Ben says, first job. He's got a call from Thunderbird 5. You know, just <gasps> an, and, you know, he's really back in his kind of upbeat, jolly, banterous personality. Ben asks, what are you doing here? And Bill just writes, I thought you'd be pleased to see me. And Ben goes, I am pleased. What are you doing here? <laughs> and then Bill just kind of looks at, at Sean and just gives him a piece of paper and says, two lemon meringue, two chocolate and two apple and cinnamon. So that's the cakes that she's brought um, for, for Sean. It's nice, actually, that they're all helping each other, that she's helping Sean with his cakes. She's, let's be honest, the cakes that Bill and Rona make are probably nicer and more, more friendly in terms of health and mm-hmm. cleanliness and hygiene than anything in Sean's in Sean's place yeah for sure and like I think they've done such a great way of kind of constructing that you know um that workers sort of cafe that that, you know they've they've always kind of got that wood paneled interior with those like um what do you call it those like luminous stars on the wall with prices of foods on and stuff it's just just I think they've encapsulated that perfectly I really have it. It really looks like a, a kind of high street cafe, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, yeah. Like you get a cup of tea for fifty p or something there. Definitely. And today, I think health and um, health regulations would have had that place closed down years ago. <laughs> yeah, really would. So Bill walks back out to get the cake. Ben gives Christine the van keys and tells us to take it and the appointment book before get, Bill gets suspicious. And and Christine's like, "Well, on my own," and Ben just goes, "Oh, it's just a leaky bullcock and a placement time switch." Christine asks what the hurry and Ben explains that the plug is just an invitation and now he has to wait for further instructions. Phone rings and Sean says it's for Ben. Ben answers it and he does it really kind of slowly and he just goes, hello? And there's a a very kind of authoritative sounding voice, posh kind of sounding voice on the other end. Mr. Ben Porter, you've received our invitation. And Ben says, you know, how do you know where to contact me? We're watching you very carefully. Mr. Porter, are you willing to proceed? 
And Bill's entered the cafe by this point with the containers of the cake. And she's just kind of passing them over to Sean, but still watching Ben, looking a little bit suspicious. And Ben, but's trying to kind of be very casual with it. And, and like it's someone else when he asks, you know, are you willing to proceed? Ben's like, yes, that'll be fine. The voice carries on. Then you must prove yourself worthy. And asks what he means. And Bill asks who, who it is. Tell me, Mr. Porter, exactly what would you be willing to do to confirm your membership to us? Meaning what? Ben says. Well, it's up to you just how much you want to join the Brotherhood of the Plunger in public. Three o'clock in the high road. Ben says, well, how would I do that? If you succeed in convincing us of your worthiness, someone will be in touch. It's all up to you. Beep. The line goes dead. Bill asks if she saw Christine leave in the van, then asks him what's wrong as he's come out in a cold sweat. Ben says he's fine. Ben says he's fine and asks Sean for the number of a minicab, but Bill, Bill says she'll drop him off. While driving down the high street, you know, that you can cut the tension with a knife, even though you can kind of, even though they're like in a car and there's you know, lots of noise and the radio's on, and it's just really tense. Bill asks what's in his bags. Ben asks her to drop off at the end of the high street. She asks if she can wait, but he says it might take some time. Very jittery. You know, at one point she goes, why are you looking at me? <laughs> you know, he, he just thinks, that, you know, he's, 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 he's acting suspiciously, you know, mm. really, um, just, he's just really funny at this moment. And then, you know, she asks, you know, why did you come into the cafe this morning? And she goes, you know why. I was dropping off the cakes. And I, I don't know why, but I just love looking at, at old locations of TV shows in, in sort of old England which is mm. 90s is not old England, even if it is 30 years. I love how she drops him opposite of a Halifax. Just little things I love like that. Mm. Well, uh, I one thing that you may be interested to know is I, I live in Chiswick, actually. And, really? Um, oh, wow. I do. And uh, so this, I don't want to disappoint, but so much of it I don't think is actually filmed in Chiswick. I think I read somewhere it's filmed in Luton or somewhere like that. Um, yeah. And... Just to like to divert for a second, um, like I didn't move to Chiswick for the sake of two point four children, but obviously <laughs> that was in my mind when I moved to the area. Yeah, uh, my partner lived in the area, and we moved in together there. But um, the when Ben goes jogging in series two, he goes into the McDonald's. Yes, and I was kind of disappointed that the McDonald's wasn't there, and I was like, oh, so that wasn't Chiswick. Uh, but it turns out that I think that bit was because there was a, a McDonald's on Chiswick High Road that has now gone. But um, in like I don't know if you know the geography of London at all, but um, yeah. up from uh, Chiswick going towards Acton, I'm sure there are houses there that I'm adamant are the streets that the Porter's house is on. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I've been to um, Hammersmith two years ago, two and a half years ago, and I did remember going past the street that looked like it could have been the Porter's Street. Mm. But a few yeah, places well, have that. Yeah, it's very close to, to Chiswick, so Is it could it? well have been it. Yeah. Ah, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I just think that some there's a certain aesthetic to the house where the Porters live. It's very similar to... It just seems to have very similar streets across London. It's, you don't get those kind of houses anywhere else. The look at, you don't need to get them when, up north where I live. Definitely not. Mm. Yeah. And so Ben gets out of the car and he waits for Bill to drive off. She then asks him, Ben, because you're feeling a bit depressed today, you wouldn't be tempted to do anything silly 
would you? Ben gives her a kiss and says, you know, don't worry. And she drives off. Ben walks away. And did you notice the Blockbuster video store on the other side? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Again, just another bit of retro there. Yeah, absolutely. By a trash bin, uh, Ben hovers and, uh, with a load of kind of bags of stuff. And he says, no, nah, I can't do this. This is stupid. And he throws it in. A horn from a other car honks. And Jake sticks his head out of the van and says, yeah, that's right. Climb in with the rubbish. They never let a loser like you in whatever you did. <laughs> and he drives off, which gives Ben the hump. And he goes, right. So Ben takes the bags out of the bin and some very jolly music plays. Um, Soul Bossa Nova, which is by Quincy Jones. I've known that music for years. It's quite a recognisable tune. I'm sure some old TV show or films had it in. Or I'm sure an advert's had it in at some point, if I remember correctly. So Ben is tying some plungers. Oh, God, this gets really, 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 really funny. He puts yeah. plungers on his head in the middle of the street. He has this pl- head plunger sticking above his head. And it's like he's a street artist, you know, like the ones who kind of like people who do kind of statues and mm. then move. And so he's pointing to his head and showing off and people are either walking past him thinking he looks weird or laughing. It's, it's just really funny. Imagine being in the town on the day of filming. What well, you know, it's just been such a funny visual to see. Mm. I think it is one of the most like visually comedic scenes in probably all of the series, especially the bit that really made me laugh is when you sat on top of the post box <laughs> with uh, the ones that seem to be like replicating like massive nipples or something. I thought was hilarious. I, I so my, funny. my note here says on the on on a post box he's set, he's with his two plungers uh, looks like nipple tassels, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's just even just the way he's moving is it's just really kind of it's it's it, to a to a kind of more adult audience it looks very inappropriate. You think it's how is this? Suggestive. It is a little bit, isn't it? And and going back to us, uh, the one earlier, where he's standing in the middle of the um the uh sort of pedestrian area between shops. At one point, he grabs another two plungers and just pretends like he's going to place them on the side of his head and just then smiles at other people. He's like um, he's like a, um, a mime artist in, in, the, um, in the circus. That's why I best describe it. Yeah, he's like a mime artist. And then, yeah, he's, he's, he's on the post box j- jiggling around. It looks very, very, very inappropriate. And then at, later on, um, he walks towards a bench where there's a man who's drinking like from like an alcohol sort of bottle thing, you know, the, the kind of silver ones that people drink and then ben sits down and now he's got plungers sticking from his knees and also his groin area which again if you're a little bit of an adult or a member of the audience you know it it, it looks a little bit more inappropriate should we say and then i love how ben struggles to cross his legs <laughs> as well yeah. yeah he goes to put his leg over and then he's like can't and then Ben walks off and the man next to him drinks from his giant glue jug. It looks like, is, is it like giant glue jug or something? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it's um, like paint thinner or something like that. You know, yeah. like this turpentine, like like base alcohol, you know, something <laughs> you probably shouldn't be drinking and is used more for some kind of like, like, I don't know, as if you're trying to wash graffiti off a wall or something. Yes, yeah. Maybe he just he just thinks he's going a bit mad and just has to take more and it'll make him even more mad. It, mm. It's another one of those moments um, I always love in, in the series when the porters are out in public doing something really stupid, like in the previous episode when Ben, sorry, Bill, is walking the invisible dog and people are just watching <laughs> her. It's like these people, when they're out in public, everyone, and when they're out in the wild, 
and people just watch them like what is this family what are these people up to it's very funny and mm-hmm. so ben then runs around a corner of a building with a big sign that says invisible mending on the premises which is just i'm still trying to work out the meaning but i feel like it means something it's just a very funny um sentence and so Ben then finds himself in a pedestrian refuge with two big signs. It's not, you know, like attached over him, over his shot, two sort of signs on either side, one on his front, one on his back with attachment over the, the two. With like, I, I, what, what will be around his shoulder? I mean, like, it's not like a rope or something, but it's something that's attaching the two together. And he's just, what were you going to say? Sorry. So Ben finds himself in a pedestrian refuge with two big signs, um, one on his front, one on his back with plungers sort of sticking out and, there's something over his shoulder that's attaching the two signs together. So he's, he's, he's kind of, it's almost like a dress. He's put on, but with two signs um, in front and behind him. And with these two plunges, he's just sort of cavorting and parading in the short space, walking up and down. And it's just, he's just waving his small plunges in, in each hand and go, going towards cars and really showing off it. And then there's like an old couple who just stare at him. He just looks completely stupid. It's very funny. Mm. And I know that a lot of people who worked with Gary said he was, a, a, you know, really good at clowning. And I think this yeah. is the most, the best example of him just, just having fun. I, I like the fact that he was, you know, he had a real sort of masculine look about him, but he could just wasn't afraid to look silly. For the for the purpose of comedy, yeah, and his, his physical comedy was is great, and uh, I think I think he like that's displayed quite well, especially in the earliest series with his relationship with David. I think which yes. makes it extra endearing. Oh, it really is because you know he was he was obviously you know a tall, robust guy, but he's able to kind of just not feel not I feel like he has to be the, the macho man all the time, which yeah. Ben tries to be at times. But he's not really. And I just like how he just plays up to it, uh, plays up to his childish antics here. So at one point, he just turns around and then stops, like freezes. And outside of the church, there's Bill, Jenny and David in their car, just looking absolutely horrified. I had to pause it this time. I've seen it when I've seen it before. I've seen it before, which makes me laugh. But pausing and watching it, they are just completely in shock. I just would love to have seen the moment that they were driving and then just saw him and stopped. But it's, it's funnier because you don't see that. But it's just amazing because he's staring at them. They're staring at him. And then when he, all the plungers kind of plop off his sign and then one of them hits the cyclist. It's just it's just so wonderful. It's like pure. It's all gone. I was going to say a really naughty face, but up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, re- it really does because I, I just love how they all kind of come off one by one. Almost. Yes. And uh, it's just kind of, as well, trying to put myself in the position of his family about imagine if I was driving around the, down the road and I saw, I don't know, my mum or someone doing something really weird like that. You'd be mortified, wouldn't you? Oh, God. You really would. It's, uh, it's just, it, 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 you just think, how are they going to? How are they going to get, how is he going to get away with this one? So back at the house, Harry sat on the sofa looking very sad. And on him, he's got this sign that reads, you owe Christine 20 pounds. What Ben put her through earlier that day, you know, saying go to the house on your own. It's only a, a sort of leaky boy or whatever he says. She's clearly, made, you know, annoyed with him. And for some reason, whether she's bought something that he needs to go halves with or she just feels that she deserves a bill for looking after his dog for a day 20 quid Mm -hmm. i I think that's pretty fair to be honest (laughs) 
Yeah, and it's just how sad he looks sat in that, that that armchair. Yeah, it's like a sign. It's like um. So Ben walks in carrying all the plungers and sits down. They're all very quiet. Bill stands over the sofa and says, "Well, now are you going to talk to us?" Ben says, "Kids, I think you better go upstairs." David asks why, and Jenny says, "Because they're going to have an argument." But Bill clarifies that they're not going to have an argument. They're just going to talk. And she doesn't want, she wonders, doesn't know why the children should go upstairs. She says that they deserve an explanation as much as she does. So they all have a discussion. And David says he'll stay if Jenny goes upstairs and she wants to, but Will wants her to stay down there. Ben asks if they can go upstairs. And Bill says, not until you tell them what you were doing in the high street. So Ben starts saying, I know it must have seemed rather strange. Thing is, it was something I had to do. And Bill's always got that sort of moral standpoint when she has to explain things what's happened just to kind of prove the point of how stupid something sounds she says you had to buy 50 sink plungers and convert about with them in the middle of the street and ben says yes and as head of this household i don't expect any further questioning of my reasoning and then bill's like well that sounds quite reasonable really i don't know why we wondered about it <laughs> just got the best comeback with sarcasm in the world i love it it's just it's just so unique to her character that um it's something that i, I enjoy each episode is that she's gonna say something like that is just to highlight how absurd it always is in her household yeah absolutely and and it's 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 what i like about Sharon. i've said this many times before is all the characters have a specific personality trait they're not they're all quite quick-witted and they all can be sarcastic at times, but she's particularly so. And that's very much in her nature and her character and very individual mm-hmm. to her. So she would react. It would be her saying that line in this situation. And then you know, Ben asks if she's being sarcastic. And Bill's like, not at all. What is a man in his own house if he can't act like a complete loony in a public place without his foolish wife and children wanting to know the reason why? And Ben asks her not to ask him why. Trust me on this one. You really don't want to know. And I love how Bill just has those moments where she just pauses and she goes, yes, I do. And she's just not letting him off the hook. And he says, oh, I'm forbidden to say. So Bean Lillian's back and says, away from looking at him directly, she goes, I see. So it has nothing to do with joining the Brotherhood of the Plungers then. And Ben, I love how Ben's kind of just always so sort of anxious when he's like, what? How do you know? And Bill gives him that kind of reality check. Ben, do you seriously think that a bunch of plumbers could put on silly hats and creep about municipal buildings at night without their wives noticing? Ben says, it's a secret. He's, he, I love how he's just really believing that this is some kind of otherworldly, dangerous, underworld group that anyone knows about anything will are doomed to die and she's just so bringing him out down to us going no it isn't we all joke about it when we meet up and that is something i want to see i don't know about you i would love to see a scene with bill porter and the plumber wives all talking about what complete childish idiots they're married to oh absolutely and i just that's just what i kind of love about this series is you know it leads you to think that you know ben's gonna talk about this like secret society and the whole family are going to be like what what a ridiculous thing i've never heard of such a silly thing but it's just how they already know it just adds like this you know it's it's just not stereotypical and that's why it brings so much a, a different kind of laugh to it so to imagine that bill is in this situation where she meets up with all these other wives and talks about this sort of stuff is um it's hilarious 
Definitely. And it goes further with the children. Jenny and David both say that they assumed he was already one. And Jenny goes on to say, oh, everyone knows about it. And someone, and she's got a friend called Donna. She said, Donna showed me her dad's costume and we had a good laugh. And I like as well the fact that the show in that moment, by just putting it out there, it's you see, you know that they've got a life away from the daily grind of work and school, that they've got other people outside their immediate circle, which is really the mm. family and then Rona. And it's just quite funny to really think of the, that and that actually the plumbers are all quite a group and they kind of all know each other and their families know each other. It's just quite a nice bit of depth, really. Mm, for sure, because it feels like it's something that it could have been tapped into because I'd be really interested in seeing more out of the like Porter world. And yes. um, However, in, not in criticism, but just in observation, in previous series, there's kind of been uh, that focus on the fact that Bill is a bit lonely and doesn't have many friends. Yes. Um, so it is in a way it's almost like a slight contradiction that the plumber's wives all meet up whereas the rest of the time you know she seems to be frustrated with the fact that you know um she's how to phrase this without sounding offensive that she's just a housewife if that makes yes she's got she's got she's got no the idea that she does actually have a life outside the family and in Mm. general yeah, I mean, it could be one of those instances where they meet up occasionally or they did at one point or they only meet up every one, every three months or or maybe she's meeting them up, but they all meet up at like plumbers events for the families. You never mm. know. It's, it's just, yeah, I know what you mean. It's um, it's kind of, again, it, it sort of shows a, a sort of balance to their life and maybe where she was feeling was a bit of a downside at that time. And then later on, she feels a bit better. Life kind of goes up and down and the show kind of taps into that very well. Mm. So Ben says, you know, things can happen to you, horrible things. Like, like what? And he, and he's got this brilliant Nat Garrelson of like miming horrible things in the sense of comedy. So he's like miming strangling, puts on this painful expression, like ah, terrible things. And then I love how the, all the, the family just take the mickey out of him. Jenny's like, oh, they'll murder us all. And Bill asks, what will they do to us? Ben Chase says that she goes, shh. David suggests perhaps they'll come in the night and block up our drains. And Jenny says, or oh, make our taps dribble. Ben says, quiet, it's dangerous. And then Bill joins in. Ooh, dangerous, is it? And she goes to the window, so sort of lurks and creeps towards the curtains, opens up and goes, hello, can you see me? I know about the plungers, come and get me. She's, she's not having any of this. And it's a really playful personality trait of Bill. She does, it's like when she, um, in Fortuosity, runs outside the house and shouts, you know, hello, where are you, giant wasps? Come and get me. She's just got, she sometimes, when something kind of put, drives us to the edge because she's very sensible thinking half the time i think she just has to exercise that by just being a bit stupid and silly just Mm. to make herself feel a bit more sane yeah i think it's to kind of almost bring herself down to the level of the other characters sometimes because they can get so wound up and she's always the sensible one i think when she acts silly i think that that's a point where the other characters kind of look at themselves and think well actually seeing bill act this way (laughs) changes how I should probably be acting myself. Definitely. And then she also just goes back straight away to being the responsible one. She just says, Ben, it's just a bunch of overgrown schoolboys with their own story and their ways and their own schoolboy special costumes. Ben just says, well, no, it's a very respected society, very dignified and democratic. And then she asks, well, why were you waving plungers about in the street? And he says, they made me. Like, he's going back to what she says about being schoolboys. Oh, they made me do it. You know, it, it, he started it. It's it's this idea of, you know, overgrown schoolboys or grown men who need to 
grow up, basically. So Bill's going, crash that. They told you to go out and make a complete fool of yourself. But Ben says it was a test, which David asks, did he pass? Ben says he doesn't know and someone's supposed to contact him. So Bell goes to the, the um, letterbox to take some uh, an envelope. She's opening it and reads it. And as Ben says, they're always watching. And Bill Pice, how can they be watching? It's ridiculous. She then presses the phone button and a brotherhood voice that we heard earlier. Ben Porter, we have been watching you. You have passed the test. If you wish to proceed further, contact us before 4.30 and the number that will surely be passed to you. The next step is up to you. And so at one point we see a close-up on the letterbox and something's been put through it. Ben opens the door and no one's there. And it's funny, it's always when you see the family all joking around then something happens that kind of stuns them and Jenny and David just run upstairs. And Dave's like, oh, you know, I've got, I've got homework to do, which is like, if, if he's got homework to do, he's going upstairs to do his homework, then clearly he's a bit shaken. Mm, yeah, it is. It's, it's hilarious that they all just look so terrified. And they start, I guess they start to think that, oh my God, maybe there is something dangerous about this now. Yes. So Bill tells Ben that he doesn't need to be part of it to be well thought of and that plenty of people respect him for what he is. A good man who does his job well. And she says they're all proud of him. It's quite a nice little moment between them. I always mm, like the, the, it is. the touching moments yeah. of 2.4 children. Yeah, exactly. And there are a fair amount of them. And that's one of the things that makes it so, so nice is that intertwined with the comedy, there is the drama and also these um, touching moments. And uh, it's, it's inspirational in a way that, you know, makes me think I wish I could. No, I should. Not I wish. I should be more like that with the people around me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I think we, we all, I think, are so busy with our lives and that sometimes when things sort of take get you know get us down we're feeling tired and and the grind the, the, the rat race is grinding us down you know we we do have to sort of stop and think sometimes and that we just need a bit of bit of a nice comment by someone who cares about us to keep us going which is mm. what's displayed here bill asks if she should throw it away and ben says he'll do it the doorbell rings and Bill says, if that's the master of the lodge tell him to get knotted which I must admit I didn't understand that reference at all. Did you get it? <laughs> No, not at all. It's to do with Freemasonry. It's to do with the Freemasons, um, which is a... I I don't fully... It's one of those, the Freemasons, a bit like the Watergate scandal. I try Mm. reading about it in the most simplistic way and I still can't fully understand it. I think it's something to do with underground sort of beliefs in other realms and and, and something greater than us. Is that Mm. the best way I can describe it? (laughs) Kind of what I gather from it is, I don't know if you're a fan of the Simpsons. Or, oh, yes, I love but, it. Yeah, there's the the episode where Homer joins the Stonecutters. Oh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. I I feel as if it's um, something to do. I think, yeah, it's definitely a secret society. And there's also another episode where... Um, where Mr Burns is obsessed with germs and he looks at Mr Smithers and he can see the germs on Mr. Smithers' face and they all say, Freemasons run the country. I don't know oh, if you remember yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, just, I remember it now. <laughs> yeah, I think like, secret society was some kind of power, which, of course, I, I learned most things through the Simpsons. Yes. Because perhaps I didn't have a good enough education that I get it from the Simpsons. Do you but, know what? I've, you know, I, I agree with you all. on that. I completely agree with you on that. Like, I would say that 2.4 has taught me a lot of things, partly because I've got mm. to understand 
everything about it for the um, podcast. But looking back, I always say Two Point Four is very like sort of a live action British Simpsons in some ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very yeah. different. Obviously, very different in lots of ways. But I agree with you. You learn a lot. It's very, very um, lots of culture and ideas and intelligence in these two shows. Mm. So Ben says he isn't in the mood for any of his games. Oh, oh, I've just I've jumped a gun there. Jake Klinger's at the door. So Jen, Jake says there's no games, and he apologizes for being sharp earlier and says it's sour and grapes. It says, goes on to say he's never been invited to join. I know we've had our disagreements, but I just want to say, I think if anybody should be a member, it's you. I wish you the best of luck and I hope they take you. Tonight, when you're there, I'll be thinking of you. And when he says that last line, I just know instantly he's got something up his sleeve. Always, always, always knows something's not going to go as Ben hopes. So Jake leaves and Ben checks his, gets the uh, note back from the bin. And I like how actually when he shuts the door, um, ben just sort of lunges and looks at his back as if something has been has been shot at or something. <laughs> like an arrow is going to be hanging from out of his back or something. It's always suspicious of Jake Klinger. So we know that he's going to ring to confirm he's joining. And Bill just says, it's all right. I'm not going to say anything. If this is so important to you, I support you. Ben's like, I have to do this. You understand. And Bill's like, I dare say. And then she asks what time he'll be back. Ben says, oh, that's not all. They've just told me that they've updated their rules in light of more modern ideals of equality. And I like how Bill does that thing she does all the time where she just says, yes. Like she just knows something's coming. And I thought I like that in that, that, that phrase, um, updated the rules in light of more modern ideals of equality, which is something that we do, we, we talk about now, but it's nice to be to know it was something discussed slightly in the 90s as well. Mm, yeah, it, it does it doesn't sound like the sort of thing that you expect to find in, I suppose, what is quite a retro TV program. Yeah. Because um, it does, you're right. It's, it sounds like the sort of thing that like um, activists would use now. Definitely. So we cut to a figure in a long red robe and covered in a mask, sort of sheet, cloak, um, banging on a hanging tank. Is that what it is? Like a tank? Is it? Is it a boiler? A boiler, yeah. Uh, yes, a boiler. Looks like It looks like an old type of boiler, though, mm, I think. Yeah. <laughs> then we pan out, and there are a group of eight of these people in these red clothing standing in front of this sort of stage. And there's a figure who's wearing similar clothes, but it's like white, and he's reading from a scroll, and this is the ceremonial master. I mean, you've gone from a domestic living room to something that looks like something out of classic Doctor Who. It's just mm. so surreal and bizarre. I, I, every time I watch this, even though I know what's coming, I have to blink and be like, wait, what's going on? Just yeah, weird. it's totally... It's, I think it's probably... And I can't... I may be forgetting things, but I think it's probably their most elaborate set throughout the whole programme, really. I mean, yeah. I know there's the Christmas episode where they're out on the bombs are blowing up and they have to drive the remote control car to yes. avoid them. Obviously that's quite elaborate, but in terms of sets and things and, you know, the, the costume, this is really quite out there, I think, for, for the programme. It's, it's very weird, isn't it? It's just a strange <laughs> idea. And so we are now seeing the Brotherhoods of the Plunger assemble. Um, the others are all bowing down and chanting, yay, master, yay. It's like, what on earth is going on? You feel like you've 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 taken something dodgy and, and this is just yeah. happening. So let's let's break down the set because I've seen this so many times and I've never properly paused to look at the details. 
it's incredible. So it looks, I think the best way I can describe it is it looks like an Egyptian architecture, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, because it's got those, um, oh my God, what's the word called? Hieroglyphics on the yes. wall. Yes, and then if you look at them, they're all of like a tap, a bath, oh, a they? toilet. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad they've gone into some detail there. It's it's absolutely hysterical how they what they've done with this set. I mean, I'm assuming this was filmed in the studio. Um, and so they they even say at one point, you know, acknowledge the high master. And then the master is sat behind the ceremonial master. He's wearing similar clothing, but it's like black and dark purple um, sort of inscriptions and and um, detail. It's It's very complicated to fully break down. It's just so much detail made into that costume. But he's sat on a toilet. He's actually sat on a toilet and then the toilet seats and then the high, and I love this bit of detail that it's a bit like, you know, in, in the Game of Thrones throne, you've got all like, is it swords that are yeah. spiking uh, that, are, that are appearing throughout the throne on this? It's a bunch of toilet seat covers that are sort of going round in a circle of the um, throne. <laughs> it's a bit like in the opening credits of The Good Life. When you've got the, the the orange sun, and then you've got the eggs around the circling of the sun yeah. on, on the edges, that's the best way I could describe it. And he's even got a, there's, he's even holding a giant plunger, mm. and even the stand of emulating frame fire, it looks like a giant plunger. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it does. It's he's just got the above his head. <laughs> yes. I I just got I just it's just so brilliant. And, and some really a really good piece of design work there. So he then says, are you all minded to let in a stranger? Yay, master, yay. Open the casement and let him be shown. It, this is so like a science fiction movie. And, and, it's, and you think in the, in the world of two people, they're taking this dead seriously, which is hysterical. Mm. So two others in the red robes open the door and Ben enters wearing a long white cloak and sort of similar clothes, but it's white. And he's blindfolded, walking through, and he says, yay, master, yay. He's directed to the front, and the ceremonial master continues. Now, is there another to share in his burden and lighten his load? And you just know instantly what's coming next. It's Bill <laughs> in the same white clothing, and she's just typically in a sort of monotone, not happy way, but still getting involved. Yay, master, yay. It's probably a bit of an over-exaggeration now, but she she's just, she gives... Ben had the glare of like, mm. how have you got me involved in this? So we know what they said about equality, that the wives get involved in the ceremony. Ceremony, yeah. what's it called when you have indoct indoctrination, induction ceremony? Because it's mm. an induction ceremony. And then they just, they, the dialogue's so wonderful. And I hope I get the pronunciation right. Let us advance to Centus Sanctorium, receiving the badge of our most sacred trade. Yay, master, yay. And Bill and Ben are pushed to the front and a necklace with a plug on the end is put around their neck. Now, are you ready to cast off your darkness, look upon virtue and enter our lodge? Ben, yay, master, yay. Ben's blindfolded and he, it's removed. Now must the supplicant face the high master, kneel to him humbly and swear to obey. And for a few seconds, Ben just stands there with this kind of childlike grin. Ceremonial master repeats the order. Bill asks, what's the matter? And it's like, oh, nothing. And you know, with that childish grin and, and the kind of response, he's up to something. 
And then the ceremonial master leans forward and says, you're required to kneel at this point and swear obedience to the high master. And Ben's like, ah, oh, yes, the high master. Now I have to show you what I think of the high master. This is what I think of the high master. And he reveals a fire foam extinguisher from his cloak and sprays the high master and ben continues this is outrageous do you really think i'd believe fooled into thinking that this is the real thing the look of the 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 ones in red who are just kind of looking at each other really confused it's so funny Mm. because without any facial expression they all look the same but you can all see they look completely baffled It's, it's just a very funny visual and then ben says hell will free us over before i promise to obey jake klinger and he removes the high master mask and gasps. And I love that mask. He goes, oh, Ray. Now, that is an important thing. Ray is who we saw leaving Paddy's Cafe earlier. Mm. Yeah, and I totally didn't get that the first time I watched it. No, same. It's, it's, in a, it's the details I love about this show. Any kind of twist or reveal, there's always a seed planted much earlier in the episode. So the payoff is even more, mm. uh, um, even more fulfilling and enjoyable yeah. and clever. He then grabs the ceremonial master's mask off and it's not Jake. And then all the others descend towards Ben like it's like classic Doctor Who because they all sort of turn against him. And I love how the fact that they go outside and where they are is one of these municipal council buildings. And you just think, how does anyone sort of convince a council? Not that I understand how these societies work, by the way. I could be not not showing Mm -hmm. my ignorance here. Convincing councils to build these kind of sets, essentially, just for these mm. stupid societies. I just find that incredibly amusing. Yeah, yeah, because surely other people are using that building when it's not being used as exactly. a um, brotherhood of the of the plunger. And and when when normally those buildings are used for important things, actually mm. meaningful <laughs> things about making the world well, society a better place. Yeah. Well, that, that's the that's the intention. The execution doesn't always work. So outside the building, we hear a riot going on and then Bill's the first to walk out. And she's got a giant plunger stuck to her head and on the, on the word reject written on her white cloak mm. in, in felt-tip paint. Then Ben appears and he's got three ropes wrapped around him and he's covered in foam. And there's a, like a, some kind of white sign that's sort of stuck to his back. It's, it, it looks like a white... Um, iron board but something that's kind of tied up to him maybe it's a maybe it's a um backseat of a toilet or something that's what i was thinking yeah. yeah so jake is in the van opposite and he shouts looks like there might be a vacancy from now now then <laughs> and he drives off and the last image we see is bill and ben just glaring at him looking totally stupid god knows how they're going to get home and it's just a really brilliant conclusion to a great episode mm. and so we just want to make a, a sort of tribute here the ceremonial master is played by an actor called Stephen Critchlow who passed away only two months ago very sadly oh. um, maybe it'll be three months by the time this comes out but he was a really respected actor he, he did a lot of work with Big Finish who do all the right. Doctor Who audio so very sad he was very young um, but he, I think he plays the part really well here it's, you know it's it's not a big role but but for just having that being in that room which is such a bizarre idea for 2.4 children. Even in 2.4 children world, this is that's so out there. What a great mm. thing to be a part of. And we, we always remember it. I really, I think t- the, the point I love about this episode, which I'm not really, which I've kind of hinted to here, is, as I say, this is probably the most Ben-centric episode that we've ever had. This is the one where he's in it the most and he's the, the lead, really. And it's nice to see 
him getting a, a story arc about a midlife crisis that similar to what Bill had. But in a way, the whole idea of the plungers isn't just that it's a funny idea, which of course it is, but it actually has a lot of depth to it because it's about grown men trying to recapture childhood freedom. Mm which I think is something that 2.4 always does. There's always a meaning and something sort of real, even in the surreal moments. Yeah, and like, I don't know much about the, the plumbing community, but I imagine, you know, it's not like you, you don't work in ex- exactly the same sort of team because, you, you know, plumbers tend to be independent. So it kind of suggests that, you know, it would be nice if there was a community for people because otherwise, you know, I'd assume that everyone's kind of in competition with each other. Yeah. Well, you see it with Ben and Jake. That that's, that it's always yeah. schoolboy antics and, you know, getting one up on each other. And and speaking of, of whom, uh, this is the third in the Jake Klinger trilogy. So mm. this is the last time we see Jake. And it's so funny because he's only in three episodes, but he makes such an impact in all of them. They're all three particularly good episodes he's in. And Roger Lloyd Pack, obviously, as ever, as we said earlier, only fools, Vicar Dibley. But I think he, he does a good enough job in this as well. Really good in, in these three episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So any final thoughts on this episode for you, Ian? Final thoughts on the episode. Um, well, hilarious, first of all. Um, especially, I think the point I laughed the most was when all the um, plungers popped off his board and um i thought that was a hilarious piece of physical comedy yes but um also yeah i just think that it's quite elaborate storytelling you know it's quite big for you know it's the program can be quite domestic and it kind of opens it up a bit to more of the world I, i always enjoy seeing them outside of their house obviously some of the best scenes take place on the set of their house but it's nice to see the uh, the cast out and about definitely 100 percent. It, it is a re- some really great moments i think it, for me it showcases gary olsen really well mm. his clowning and his comedy timing but also the fact that he could play serious very well and and and, and it's a really multi-dimensional multi-dimensional three depth three dimensional depth i'm, I'm Spouting out words, uh, he's he's he gives a lot of depth to the role of Ben, and he's a very surreal yeah. character. He's a surreal character, and this is shown mm. here. And so, stars out of five, stars out of five. Hmm, I'm gonna give it. Oh, this is a difficult one. I'm gonna give it four because um, I love Rona, and she wasn't as present in it as I would like. Yes, really, and um, uh, yeah. I, th- I think I'll leave it there. <laughs> yes. yes, I think that's what it was. I like more Rona. For me, four and a half, probably. I'm, I always reserve the fives to the ones I, not that I particularly love, but I just, if I, I know the, the ones I say immediate five, this is a four and a half. It's very good. And I think the, the last bit, especially, I think really elevates it just because, it, as you say, it is nice to see go from domestic world something a little bit more out there, even in a show actually playing for children. Ian, it's been a real delight having you on. It's been a while since we last since we first spoke, so it just shows how, t- how fast time's going. So mm. tell people where they can find you on social media. Oh, well, first of all, I just want to say thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute honour, and I hope that if there's ever an opportunity to come back, uh, that you'll let me know, because I'll take that up. But on social media, I'm just actually checking my phone now because I... Don't want to get this wrong. You can find me under I at I D Casey. So that's for Ian David Casey. I D Casey. 
fantastic thank you very much and all the best with your own screenwriting projects as well thank you very much i would just say at this point i i um tweeted something to julia hills about um whether i could write a like a, a comeback special of 2.4 children and uh, she liked it and uh, we'll see i don't know <laughs> that's a dream yeah well dream away and you never know yeah thank you to everyone for listening and next week we have a two-parter as in the tradition of every episode of series six coming out on the dates that they were originally broadcast next week on the 19th and the 20th we'll be releasing the two-part series finale for six for the sixth series of two point four children which in sees a new guest tom and these episodes are the lion the witch and the wardrobe for anyone remembers bill getting stuck in a wardrobe wearing nothing but a fur coat and being sold at auction and the following episode sees rona and bill and a baby underneath the floorboards and as will be well as will be revealed or if you've listened to the julia hills interview you realize that the baby was very close member to the cast Thank you very much for listening and have a really good week. And don't forget 2.4 is on BritBox, all episodes on December 16th. Thank you very much.